Are you guys ready for our new sermon series? I say new. I mean, it's still new to me. Death, burial, and resurrection. Somebody ready? We're, um, we're uh, in week two of this series as we are moving into Easter. And if you were not here last Sunday, let me just encourage you to go online, go onto our website, and download and watch uh, that first uh, sermon in this series. That first sermon was about the death of Jesus. And you might just be sitting there going, well, that just sounds a little morbid and a little like, uh, you know, unpleasant. Well, there's some stuff that we can learn when we start to experience what Jesus' death means for us. Uh, for some of us, it means uh, that God experiences or that Jesus can empathize uh, with our sense of abandonment. Sometimes when we think that God is far from us, uh, we can look back at the death of Jesus and remember that even though he felt it, it didn't make it fact. Somebody remember from last week. Sometimes when we feel that God is with us, it's not the fact that God is, has abandoned us. He's still with us. Uh, we learned about how to, uh, to, to not let the pain override your purpose and not let the struggle throw you off of what God has for you. Uh, and so uh, that was last Sunday. Today I want to move into the burial of Jesus because I believe that in some respects the burial of Jesus for the disciples of Jesus must have been a day that was maybe even worse than the day of his death. Because on the day of his death it was, it was a shocking moment, but the day of his burial must have felt like a final moment. It must, have, it must have had that resonance of finality, like, like this thing is really over. I don't know if you've ever had a really, 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 really bad thing or a bad day happen in your life, but sometimes the worst day is the day after the worst day in your life. It's sometimes the day when you go, wow, that, that really happened. Like that really, that really happened and, and, and I don't even know how to move on from there. And that's where the disciples are when we're going to pick up the story today because you got to remember this moment. They had been following Jesus for three years. They had these expectations. They had these aspirations for what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. How many of you have some expectations about what God's going to do in your life? And you have some ideas about where he might be taking you. And you have some hopes and you have some dreams and you have some aspirations. But for the disciples in this moment, all those dreams and all those hopes, all those expectations were buried in a tomb. Sometimes we get disappointed because God doesn't meet our expectations. We have a certain expectation for the way things are going to go. And then something different happens and we go, hey, what happened, God? I thought we were going this way and now we're going this way. I thought you were going to fulfill that wish or desire in my life and now that's not happening. So in this moment, we see Jesus has been hanging on the cross. He's cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experienced that pain. He's experienced that heartache. And then the scripture said he breathed his last. And he breathed his last. And then he died. And so later that night, he's... His body is lifeless on the tree. His body is stretched out. There's no breath in his body. It's, there's a chill in the air in Jerusalem. His body has begun to go cold. And there were a couple men that came to, to show their respects at the very end of his life. And I want to pick up there. And I'm doing sort of a scriptural, um, I'm going to call it a scriptural mashup. Uh, and I'm missing one page of my scriptures. 
let's see, where is that? Where is that? Is there one more page in there? I hope there is. Otherwise, no, that's not it. Okay, yeah, this will work. All right. That, that's not it. We're good. We got it right here. This will work. Amen. That's going to shorten my sermon by about 20 minutes. Somebody said amen. All right. Hey, too much excitement. Um, all right, it says this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph of Arimathea was uh, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, notice this, he's secretly a disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. Somebody say, low expectations. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. So Joseph of Arimathea was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. This is another secret disciple of Jesus. Somebody say, low expectations. There's a pattern here with these guys. The, the pattern is they're curious about Jesus, but they're not confident in Jesus. They, they want to, their interest in him is up here, but their expectation for what can happen with him is down here. They want to follow him, but they're kind of afraid that if they do, bad things will happen to them because they're not totally expectant of what he's going to do. Nicodemus, it says, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now, let me just tell you this. If you are going to drop the kind of cash that it would take to buy 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh to bury somebody, you don't expect them to get up the next day. All right? You're, you're, you're making an investment in the, in the expectation that they're going to stay dead. Uh, he got 75 pounds of mal aloes and myrrh. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The next day, the one after the preparation day, so this would be on the Sabbath, this is on Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Pilate was the governor of Judea. Sir, they said, we remember that while Jesus was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Why? Otherwise, they say, his disciples may come and steal the body. Somebody say low expectations. <laughs> They don't only believe he will not rise. They have such low expectations for his followers, they think he's going to come and steal the corpse. Uh, they may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and by posting the guard. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Somebody say low expectations. <laughs> you see where we're going with this, somebody? Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other this question. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? You see, what that question reveals is that, number one, they expected there would be a stone in the way. They expected there would be a corpse inside of the tomb. 
They expected that they would be anointing Jesus' dead body. They were expecting that their life as they had hoped and their life as they had expected it would go was not going to go that way. That they were going to end up picking up the pieces of their life and just trying to make do. What it revealed is their low expectations. So today I want to speak for a few moments on the subject, the problem with low expectations. The problem with low expectations. Um, Mondays, if you know preachers, if you know very many pastors, you know that a lot of pastors take Mondays off. They just chill out on Mondays. They just don't do it. And that's my practice. I like to take Mondays off. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't answer my phone on Mondays. I don't, I don't return text messages. I don't re- respond to emails. I just, I just take the day off. I mean, sun, Mondays, I just, it's like such a day off. Sometimes I, 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 I don't even know how to dress. Like if you see me out, I might have mixed match. Don't judge me on a Monday. That's all I'm saying. I might not even shower on a Monday. Come on, somebody. <coughs> Sorry. But usually I do. Um, uh, I might not, I might not, I, if you see me on a Monday, my hair will be dented on the side where I slept on it. I'll have lines on my face. I'm not even worried about, my, I'm just taking the day off. I'm not trying to, to, to be anything on Monday, right? And the thing that I love to do on Monday, the thing that I love to do the most is I just like to hang out with my family at home. I try to, sometimes I'll try to get my wife to let our kids play hooky from school so we can just kick it at the house. And she says, no, that's not appropriate. And so they go to school and I just... Putter around the house on Monday. Um, don't judge me because that's probably what you do on Saturday, all right? Um, so, so Monday, in fact, if I go to the gym on Monday, which I, often I will do, I, I end up just sitting on the mat pretending I'm stretching while binge-watching Amazon Prime on my phone and not really doing anything at all. So last Monday, last Monday, I'm at home, and uh, it, if you remember, it was gorgeous outside last month. It was amazing outside. And so I thought it would be fun when the kids got home for us to go on a bicycle ride. So we get, you know, they're, they're coming home, and I've got the bicycle pump, and I pump up their tires, and we're getting ready to go on a bicycle ride. And in our neighborhood, because it was so nice out, everybody was out. All the kids were out. All the parents were out. Adults were flowing back and forth. Everybody on our block kind of knows each other, so everybody's hanging out and talking, and there are kids running in and out of our backyard, and there's, a, there's a, one boy, one of the neighbor boys uh, in our, on our street who was over in our backyard, and I saw him. He was sitting on my son's bicycle. He was sitting on Lincoln's bicycle, and Lincoln, and his mom was standing here talking to my wife, and his mom said, uh, so he, he, Lincoln said, rather, hey, man, do you want to go bike riding? And I, I saw this look of disappointment come on this boy's face. He's seven years old. And he said, I, I don't know how to ride a bike. And uh, so I said, because I've known this kid since he was really little, I just, I, I didn't know he didn't know how to ride a bike, but he seems to be perfectly capable of riding a bike. There's no, no physical reason why he can't ride a bike. So I said, well, hey, man, do you want to learn how to ride a bike? I asked him that. And it was funny because he kind of looked at his mom like, do I want to learn how to ride a bike? And his mom, his mom gave <laughs> Gave him one of those looks. She said this to him. She goes, well, do you want Mr. Rome to teach you how to ride a bike? And she gave him that look of like, we've been trying to get you to ride a bike for two years. We've done everything that we know how to do to get you to ride the bike. Do you really want to ride the bike? Uh, That was the look. You know, with the lip that kind of tightens up on one side. That look. And so so he says, so he says, he says, "Um, I'd like to, but... I'm afraid that I'll crash, is what he said. 
And I'm standing there and I go, and I said, <laughs> one of my neighbors is here. She was actually a witness to this. Uh, so I said to him, I go, listen, man, you're not going to crash. You're going to get on this bike. You're going to ride down the street. I'm going to run alongside of you. And within 10 minutes, you're going to be riding up and down this block. And he looks at me like, really? And I was like thinking to myself, well, you might crash, but I didn't want to say that. I go, I go, I go, dude, just put on your helmet. Let's go. So he goes, okay. He's got a little Spider-Man helmet. He clips it on. He gets on the bike. I came over beside him. I put my hand on his back and I, and I like lean into him and I go, listen, here's what you're going to do. You're going to look straight ahead. You're going to keep pedaling. I'm going to run alongside you and you, you just keep going until you're riding. Okay. This is, this is going to work out. And he's like, okay, he's believing me for some reason. And so, so here we go. We start running. And I start running alongside of him. And literally within 50 yards, I can tell, because I've got my hand on his, on his, like the back of his neck, I can tell that he's got this. He's got, already got the mechanics of this thing. So I just remove my hand, and I'm running along beside him. He notices that I'm no longer holding him up. And he's sort of filled with this, like, look on his face, like, oh, my gosh. And I go... You're riding the bike, man. So we get all the way down to the end of the street. We stop. I had to help him stop. He hadn't got the braking part down. So we stop. We turn around, and I, and I say, ride back to your mom all by yourself. He hadn't learned the turning part yet, but we have a straight street. So I was like, this will work out. They'll catch him. So, so, so I gave him a little push. Off he goes down the street. He flies down the street. He you know, pulls up in front of my wife and his mom and all the kids every, and the neighbors. Everybody's clapping and excited. I come down. My neighbor calls me the bike whisperer. He says, look, man, if the preaching thing doesn't work out, I see you're calling. But, but the, reality, the reality was I didn't do anything. This kid had the mechanics. He just didn't have the mindset. He needed to just change his expectation so that he could change his outcome. The only thing that changed on that day, because they had been working with this kid for two years to get him up on the bike. He already knew how to pedal. He already had everything he needed. He just needed to change his expectation. I think a lot of times we prevent or we limit what God can do in our life. We limit his power. We limit our potential. We limit his strength in our life because we have a limit on our expectations for what he's going to do. We put a gap or a cap rather on what God can do in our life because we don't expect him to do it. We expect to find the stone in place. We expect dead to be dead. We expect we're going to crash if we get on the bike. We won't take risks because we are afraid of what will happen because we don't expect that God's going to be there on the other side. See, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the problem was that they, that they did not expect that if they became followers of Jesus, that he would be able to override their fear of their colleagues they were both they were both they were both judges these two were think about this they were both judges they were both uh, members of the supreme court they were members of the sanhedrin they were extremely well educated they were extremely wealthy they were extremely powerful these were two guys who had every opportunity to use their influence for good but they were running around in the shadows during the whole time of jesus's ministry because they had such low expectations Here's the problem with low expectations if you're taking notes. The problem with low expectations is when you expect less, you will often experience less. How many knows what I'm talking about? When you expect less, when you think, I don't, I don't think I can pull that off. I don't, you know, I really don't, I really don't 
I, don't, I really don't think I should apply for that school because I really just don't think there's no way I can get in. Well, when you expect less, you experience less. When, 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 you, when, you, when you are looking at a job that you want and you go, I just don't know if I can, you know, if I've got what it takes. I just don't know if that. When you expect less, you'll experience less. And it's not because of some kind of magical formula in the universe. It's because you will behave in a way that ensures that your false belief about yourself will come true. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy is when you have a false belief about something. And so you act on that belief. And then your actions ensure that your belief comes true. That you actually fulfill your expectations. Uh, it, it doesn't only affect you, it can affect other people. There's a, there's a phenomenon that's been studied called the Pygmalion effect. And it's a fun, funny name, but that'll be your new vocab word for the week. The Pygmalion effect is the effect that you have on somebody else when you expect something less of them than what they're capable of doing. This has been studied uh, throughout you know, uh, social sciences and history in education or on the job, if, you're a, if you have somebody that's under your authority, maybe it's an employee, maybe it's a child, maybe it is uh, a colleague, maybe it's a, you know, somebody, that, somebody that you have some responsibility for, a lot of times what will happen is if you have low expectations for that person, you will assign them less challenging tasks, you will not give them good feedback, you will be dismissive of them, they will begin to doubt their ability. They, their their, their uh, uh, production will, will suffer. And at the end of the day, you will look and go, yeah, I, that's what I expected of you. I didn't expect you to do well, and you didn't do well. This happens all the time in our life. When we, when we, when we expect less, we experience less. The, the disciples of Jesus, that was the problem, is that they didn't really know that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They didn't really expect him to rise from the dead. Here's the other problem with low expectations. Uh, it's, it's hard to enjoy the good times, and it's hard to endure the bad times when you have low expectations. You know what I mean? Like, if you have low expectations and you're going through a good time in your life, you're experiencing something good, it's hard to enjoy it because you're expecting something bad to come around the corner. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I talked to a guy the other day, um, and I was like, man, it's, it's a, a guy that came by the office. I go, man, it's beautiful out here today, isn't it? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, well, you can't even enjoy the nice day because you're expecting the bad day, right? It's hard to enjoy the good times when you have low expectations. It's hard to endure the bad times because you don't expect anything to change. You don't expect anything to get better. On Jesus' way down to Jerusalem, for his uh, ultimate sacrifice. He was up further in Galilee, and, and some of you may remember this story, that, that his friend Lazarus had died. And his sister, Lazarus's sisters had sent word and said, Jesus, please come down. And I won't be able, I don't have time to tell the whole story. But as, as he was getting ready to go down, he told his disciples, he said, okay guys, let's go down to Jerusalem. Well, there's one of his disciples that I just kind of love him because I feel a certain... I feel a certain camaraderie with him. His name was Thomas, and he was the doubter. He was Thomas, the, the man of low expectations, is what he was. And he said, in the story, it's in John 11, he said, uh, when Jesus said, let's go down to Jerusalem, Thomas said, all right, guys, let's go down to Jerusalem, and we can just die with him. That's what he said. That's what he said. He, he literally is like, we'll just go down to Jerusalem, and we'll die. 
What he didn't know is he was actually about to see Jesus raise somebody from the dead. He wasn't about to go down and die. He was about to see a resurrection. But he had low expectations. So he can't even enjoy the good times. And he can't endure the bad times because he has low expectations. Some of us, some of us today, God is saying, look, I want you to expect more. Now, now let, me, let me, some of you might be sitting there going, well, you know what? Actually, I've had high expectations and they've been disappointed. And so now I have low expectations. Well, let me ask you this. Were your high expectations really God's expectations or were they just your expectations? Because your expectations are going to oftentimes be for your glory, your power, your wealth, your status, right? And God's saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm not that interested in satisfying that expectation because that expectation is too low. You're limited by desiring just stuff for you. I want you to, I want you to partner with me. I've got a vision that's bigger than you, and I have an expectation that you can participate in my vision for you. So it's not just a matter of, oh, gee whiz, I was really hoping that all this good stuff would happen to me, and it didn't happen. Well, that's because you were just worried about you. God's not inviting you into uh, partnering with yourself for your own glory. He's inviting you to partner with him for his glory. You know, on Palm Sunday, it's Palm Sunday, so on Palm Sunday... There were a group of people, and they were standing alongside of the road, and they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they were putting down palm fronds. You know what they were expecting? They might have thought they had high expectations of Jesus. What they were expecting is that Jesus would be the ruler king of Israel, that he would drive out the Roman oppressors. And then their high, what they thought were high expectations were disappointed because he was killed. What they didn't realize is that what they thought were high expectations were actually low expectations because he had a bigger vision, a bigger dream, a bigger kingdom. He didn't want to just reach the people in Jerusalem. He wanted to reach the people in St. Louis, which is what he did by going down into the grave. He's trying to raise our expectations. He's trying. In fact, Jesus' disciples... <laughs> It wasn't a problem of information. It was a problem of expectation. He had told them so many times. You read the Gospels. He was just always going like, hey, guys, just P.S. I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise up on the third day, and we're going to keep on rocking. And they were like, anyway, so uh, can we go fishing now? I mean, they just, they just, they couldn't, did not compute. In fact, there's a great one. I'll read you this one because I love how explicit he is. Matthew 20. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, now here's his 12. He takes them aside. There's not a crowd. It's just us. Okay, I'm going to have a little intimate moment here. Okay, guys, listen. We are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, me, Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. This happened... Before he died. It wasn't a matter of them not having the information. It was a matter of them not being able to raise their expectation to align with his information. God has stuff for you. He has a vision, a plan, a purpose for your life. And the hard thing for us is that a lot of times we just can't really wrap our minds around it. We can't really expect to experience what God has for us. And a lot of times it's because we, we don't experience we, don't, we haven't experienced that. We're not exposed to it, so we don't expect it. You know, a lot of times our, our experience and, and our expectations are, are impacted by what we've been exposed to. 
you know? And, and I, I actually believe this. I believe that a lot of times our expectations are too low because we have learned throughout life to expect what we believe we deserve, right? You have learned through life, you've learned through school, you've learned through your parents, you've learned through culture that, you know what? You should expect what you deserve. You shouldn't expect more, you shouldn't expect less. But the story of Easter and the story of the Christian faith and the challenge of Jesus is don't expect what you deserve, expect what God desires. I'm honestly, I'm really, I'm really, really thankful that I don't get what I deserve. I'm really, really thankful that I get what God desires, not what I deserve. Last week, I shared with you just a little bit about uh, the moment that that brought me to faith, the moment that that I came to to faith in Christ. And and I came to faith, at least in large part, by watching uh, the suffering of my father and his faithfulness through that. And after I became a believer, my heart just began to open up a little bit to the possibility that maybe God would be able to use me in ministry like he had called me to so many years earlier. And I remember having a conversation with my mom and my sisters, and I started like laying out my expectations. And my expectations for what God could do with me were so small, y'all. I mean, you, you know, they were just, and it's not because I'm humble. Uh, it's not because I've, I've never been overly afflicted with the, with the virtue of humility. That's, I, I've never struggled with that. But, but I, 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 I had low expectations because I was basing my expectations on what I thought I deserved. And I was actually partly right because I, I knew what I deserved. And I was pretty right about what I deserved. But what I had to get my head around over the years is that God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you what he desires. He gives you what he wants to give you. That's why the scripture says you are a joint heir. Because when you, an heir means that God is passing something. Your parent is passing something down to you whether you deserve it or not. You didn't earn it. They earned it. And they're giving it to you. When we become a joint heir with Jesus, that means his righteousness is being given to us. Our sin is being taken from us, put on the cross, and we get to experience not what we deserve, but what he desires for us. I'm going to close with this. There was another, there was another religious leader, very similar to Joseph uh, of Arimathea and Nicodemus, also very learned, very scholarly, very high-level, high-power-ranking Jewish leader uh, who lived, who was around shortly after Jesus's a death, burial, and resurrection. You know him as the Apostle Paul. And what I love about the Apostle Paul is that he is someone who learned to expect what God desired for him. And when you genuinely align your desires and your expectations with what God wants for you, it raises your expectation far beyond what you would have ever dared to expect or dream or imagine. In fact, the Apostle Paul was, was in jail, chained. He had been beaten, he had been shipwrecked, he had, he had been stoned. I mean, literally, like, this guy, everything that bad that could happen to him was happening to him. And he writes this letter. There are a lot of things that he says in the letter. He says, one of the things he says, he says, you know, I'm in chains, but it's really, it's really amazing how awesome it is to be in chains because all of the palace guard now know that I am a, in chains for Christ. And, and, and people are coming to Jesus because of me. And, and, you know, this is a guy who's chained to the floor. And he says this. I love what he says. 
in this passage, that he, this letter that he writes. He says, I eagerly expect, I eagerly expect, and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life, watch this, or by death. In other, way, in other words, he's saying, I'm going to be good either way. I'm expecting things to turn out good either way they turn out. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So if I stay alive, I'm going to just keep rocking. I'm going to be highly productive. I'm going to be fruitful. This is going to be amazing if I stay alive. Yet what shall I choose? He's talking about choosing life or death. I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is actually better by far. You see, he's saying, look, if I stay alive, it's going to be awesome. If I die, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. He has expectations. His expectations have aligned. He says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Here's what, here's what this Here's what the story of Easter is. Here's what the truth of Easter is. When God is involved, victory is inevitable. Things might not turn out like you want them to, but if God is involved, things will turn out better than you could have imagined. Whether by life or by death. Whether things turn out the way I thought they would or they turn out a different way. If I am aligned with Christ, if I am in his flow, if I am following him, He's going to use all of it for his glory and for your good. Whether I live or whether I die, it's going to be amazing, y'all. So God is saying to somebody here today, raise your expectations. Raise your expectations. And as we will talk about next Sunday, he literally raised their expectations. They got to the tomb and nobody was there. He was alive. I feel like somebody today, God might be speaking into your heart and saying, look, you're, you're, you're not expecting too much. You're expecting too little. You're not, you're not striving after too much. You're, you're, not, you're not seeing big enough of a picture. I've got more for you than you could even dream or imagine. I want to raise your expectations. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us as we close, and I'm going, to pray, I'm going to pray that throughout this week, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, that we would prepare our hearts and minds to receive something so surprising, so beyond our expectations, so powerful, that it changes our life, not just on a day, but forever. It changes our expectations for ourselves for our relationships, for our friends, for our job, for every aspect of our life. I'm going to pray that God would raise your expectations. Let's close our eyes right now. Father, we come before you. We pray that your message would sink into our hearts, that we would experience your love, we would experience your power, that we would be receptive to seeing the possibilities that you have which are beyond the dreams and expectations that we have for ourselves. Father, I ask that every person here today would be encouraged, encouraged by the empty tomb, 
they would be inspired, that they wouldn't ask who will roll away the stone, but they would ask, how do I partner with the risen Savior? What would our life look like, God, if we expected you to win every time? Every time. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to raise our expectations, even as you were raised from the dead. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen, Amen, everybody. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, see you here. God bless you. Have a great week.